Welcome, everybody. It's time again for the Shop Notes podcast. Today's episode is episode number 23. I'm your host, Phil Huber, and I'm joined by John Doyle and Logan Whitmer, as always. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about plywood, why the hate, what you can do to work with plywood better. We're also going to answer a few reader questions and have a listener comment. So let's get started. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. So much suspense. I don't know if the listener comment is good or bad. Yes. I guess we feed on it either way. Right. Yeah. So. I've always wondered about uh, being part of a publication. You're always going to get uh, emails and letters of people who are super excited about the work we do and also comments about people who are less excited about the work we do. <laughs> and I never know what to do with the less excited ones because it's really fun to read the ones where it's like, you're my favorite magazine. I've been subscribing since 1978 and blah, blah, blah. But... See, I like yeah. reading the other ones too. Yeah, it's because I mean, a lot of the times, it's guys just wanting to vent about right. something, whether whether I like it, it, whether it's based on anything or not. You know. Yeah, I like it when they get like super creative with the criticism, like <laughs> comparing something to like Pearl Harbor or you know right. something totally random, the sinking of the Titanic, or yeah. it's like. Jeez. Yeah. So it's like, hold on, wait for the boat plan to come out before you start complaining about it. Jeez. <laughs> right. Speaking of plywood. <laughs> so, uh, trying to come up with topics for podcasts, I was, I think this one came from a variety of either reader comments or some feedback that I've gotten about uh, projects or just woodworking in general is the role of plywood because at woodsmith in our projects we use a fair amount of plywood and and we own it so i thought maybe what we could do is talk a little bit about why the hate and then also you know like what do we when we're designing and building projects or talking about things in plywood um, what are we doing to maximize it as a material as opposed to i don't know just giving up on life putting on the sweatpants and just leaving the edges exposed <laughs> so you're saying plywood is the yoga pants of the building world <laughs> <laughs> like everybody secretly loves it but then they like to criticize them <laughs> yeah well i think where i'm going with it is i feel like and I get that there are many different segments of woodworking and interests and rabbit holes or however you want to look at it. And I'd like to embrace all of that. But there's a place where you embrace your niche and then you start beating down other niches. <laughs> and I feel like there's a, there's a solid wood folk out there who despise plywood as being a material of of the Illuminati. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, I mean, not all plywood is created equal. There's some really cheap stuff you can get out there that's like the outside layer is paper thin and it just like seems to blow out the first time you make a cut and it's like two inch long chip out on it and just, you know, <laughs> seems kind of kind of worthless. And so maybe there's some hate there that it's just like they haven't had very good luck with it or, you know, that kind of thing or it's just really cheap wavy potato chip plywood or, or that kind of thing but i don't know it has its place I, I i think in a lot of our shop projects we've used uh baltic birch and i think that's i mean i love using baltic birch it's always flat and there's no voids and it yeah. kind of looks cool so i'm pretty sure I don't know. i'm pretty sure two inch chip out like is the opening act for nine inch nails isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> like okay yeah. i had to get that one out of the way <laughs> before I forget it. cover out cover band mm-hmm. you know it's it's funny because we are kind of dubbed the plywood people which is weird to me because it's like that's what a lot of people use i mean it to me it's it's not that far-fetched um the, the first time i heard woodsmith mentioned on uh the Wood Talk podcast, actually, uh, with Mark Spagnolo and Matt Cremona and Shan Rogers. Um, one of those guys, I think it was maybe Mark, had mentioned, like, oh, yeah, you know, Woodsmith, aren't they like the plywood furniture people? It's like, I mean, yeah, kind of. We do a lot of plywood, but it makes it approachable to build from a material standpoint, right? Like, it's, it's a lot easier to go out and buy. It's a lot more economical to go out and buy three sheets of, you know, Coruscant oak plywood than it is to make solid panels for a armoire out of mm-hmm. out of Coruscant white oak. It's it is what it is. There's mm-hmm. no reason that somebody looking at one of our project plans could not substitute all the plywood for hardwood panels. If that's right. something you want to do, I would assume that it's well within their means to be able to to do those panels. So. It's just because we show it that way doesn't mean that's how it has to be done, but it is what it is. Yeah, and we've actually made that determination on several projects for the TV show where the original project in the magazine was solid wood. I'm thinking that entry bench that we did last season where I think it was solid poplar and for the sake of efficiency and shooting, it was we went with three-quarter inch plywood and the ease of picking it up and moving it around the set right (laughs) you know it was lighter yeah it's that but i mean we didn't have to in creating the props for the show we didn't have you know a day or two of gluing up a bunch of panels Mm -hmm. which is neither here nor there it's just part of the mathematics of building a project is you know if you're going to go with solid wood you're making an investment in the material and in gluing up a bunch of panels. Um, With plywood, you're working with its uh, strengths and weaknesses, but you're also not, you're also starting with large panels right from the get go. And I think John, you had the genius idea in my opinion of taking the full sheet of plywood and edge banding the front and back edges of it before slicing it up into panels so that we, you know, mm-hmm. at least one side already had edging on it. You know, 
It's kind of what I do. Come up with genius ideas. <laughs> you know, or lazy ideas. <laughs> it's it is. You know, John said he likes to work with Baltic birch, and I found that what what's labeled as Baltic birch, you'll find birch plywood, and then you'll find Baltic birch plywood, and true Baltic birch plywood comes from what Norway, Finland, around there, um, and right. it's metric. It's usually in five foot by five foot sheets, right? Uh, and like John said, it's dead flat. It is dead flat. It is square. It is void free. It's beautiful to work with. Now around us, we have got a uh, a handful of people that sell birch plywood. Um, you can buy birch plywood from you know Menards, Lowe's, Home Depot, all those. Uh, we get a lot of stuff from Liberty Hardwood. Um, and there's a few people that carry what they call Baltic birch plywood. And they call it Baltic birch plywood, and it comes in four by eight sheets. It's, I do not believe, a true Baltic birch. It's not as flat. It has voids. It does have um, some filled footballs on it. You know, I, I just, I don't feel like it's true. It doesn't feel as nice as the the good stuff. No. The, the good I, stuff is expensive. <clears throat> right. You know, yeah. it's 60 bucks for a five by five sheet, but... I can usually tell by the edge grain of it because like the, yeah. the, what I would call the true Baltic birch, the glue lines aren't nearly as visible as on the, I don't know, the imposter Baltic birch where it seems <laughs> like there's a darker, blacker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it like the, the Russians that, meddling in the Baltic birch plywood market? Right. Yeah. yeah. Knock off Baltic I, I, birch. <laughs> The thing that I like about Baltic birch is that the face plies are about the same thickness as all the core plies. So I've used it on projects and been able to get to the fact where you get a little unevenness between your edging and the plywood. You can, I've face planed Baltic birch plywood. You know, I could, you know, for the finely set plane, I've made 10 passes on it and not not gone through the face ply, you know, whereas regular plywood, you know, you end up with that little dark spot that you want to sand out and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Then yeah. you realize you've sanded through a long time ago. Yeah. I, say, I actually just sanded through my first sheet of plywood. I've, I've, for the most part, I fall into the camp of not using a lot of plywood in projects. I just, I, I, I don't, um, the desk I'm sitting at right now is some maple ply for the, the desk surfaces. Um, but I just don't use a ton of it. And the, the poker table I was building, I sanded through the, the veneer on the, it was a birch ply that I used for the, the lower gaming surface. And it's like, oh, I've never done that before. And it was maybe, God, maybe six passes with the random random orbit sander and it was like oh there's i'm through a layer like that's mm -hmm. it's an imposter <laughs> so john you end up working with a lot of plywood and helping us get props ready for the show and yep designing projects any tips on how you work with plywood like or what do you look for when you're selecting plywood <laughs> Oh, like I said, I usually don't go to the home centers to pick up 
plywood because it's usually really cheap and thin outer layers. So um, I guess don't be afraid to get like the specialty, more expensive plywood because you, you're not going to be fighting it later, like Logan said, and accidentally sanding through the outer layer or you know having a lot of chip out. Um, so that's one thing. I guess uh, two of the more expensive plywoods you're going to get you know, better grain patterns and not having to cut around, you know, stuff that you don't want to use on your projects that doesn't look very good. So that's, yeah. I guess, just a couple tips. And then just the usual tips as far as not getting chip out when you're cross-cutting as far as, you know, using a good sharp cross-cut blade and maybe taping off the, the ed, you know, the edges where you're going to cut so you don't get a lot of chip out. But I don't know. Other than that, about it yeah we had a question on uh, our, our woodsmith unlimited q a session this week about plywood and getting clean cuts especially with birch plywood when you have mm -hmm. those really thin face veneers how do you keep them from being all raggedy yeah and a lot of times too you can uh use a marking knife or a utility knife and and cut along your your lines where you're going to be cross cutting so you don't get that chip out. So the thing that I like to do. Yeah. So. Have either of you ever done the scoring pass where you have your blade set for, you know, like a 16th of an inch, make your, make the cut just to score the line and then raise your blade full height to not full height, but high enough to make the, the through cut. Right. Uh, yeah. I'd, I've done that before. It's not something I typically do, I guess, because I'm just doing the other things that I mentioned to avoid crosscut. But yeah, that's something I've tried in the past. Seems to work all right, but it takes yeah. more time. Right. So it does. So while we're talking about plywood, I mean, I guess it's important for people that are listening to understand that there's you can get plywood in different qualities, right? You know, we're talking right. about getting the cheap stuff from from the home center versus good stuff from like a, a dedicated lumber yard. Um, plywood generally comes in grades. Like you'll have, you'll see the grade as B, 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 or, you know, B slash B or A slash B. And that's designating the quality of the veneer on the front and the back. So a B, B grade is going to have the same grade of veneer on the front and back. Um, but plywood, I would also classify the MDF core stuff into the plywood category, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. for the most part. But is there any instance where you guys would choose MDF core over veneer core? I think only when it had to be just super flat. Because other than yeah. that, it's like really heavy and it creates a lot of dust when you're cutting it. You know, that really fine dust that gets in the air and... I don't know. There's not very panels, many times where I would. But. Yeah. The panels end up being more, a little more floppy too with the MDF core. They're just, they're not as rigid as a, as a ply core. Uh, I've used it quite a few times, but mostly like John said, when I'm really looking for flat, smooth panels, you know, cause you're not going to get any telegraphing from mm -hmm. inconsistencies in lower layers and things like that. So, it, and to me, it always seems like the face veneers end up just being more smooth overall. Yeah. Just that they, they just feel tighter. Yeah. 
You know, one thing I don't like about MDF core is the edges seem to get dinged really, really easily on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of alluded to it, Phil, but the MDF core does seem, even though it's flatter, it seems to sag. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like the weight of the panel can't hold its shape. So, um, you know, anytime you need rigidity, that's when I reach for it. A, pl- a veneer core versus the MDF. Um, but they are nice when they are flat. Um, yeah. Like that. I mean, that is that is fairly nice. Yeah, uh, so that part's nice. Um, the other part that's nice with MDF core is that it, it usually measures right at its stated thickness or actually a mm-hmm. little thicker, I found. So that if you wanted to use, you know, because I like using routers for joinery, you can use you can use nominally sized bits rather than having to do like a plywood bit or multiple passes or mm-hmm. are, you, are you telling me my three quarter inch plywood's not three quarter inch? I know gasp. Is that why my panels never fit? <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say the MDF core doesn't seem to hold screws as well either. Yeah. In my right. opinion. It's just it's easier to strip it out than like a veneer core, especially if you use the right pre-drill yeah. size. Or well, if you're drilling into the end grain on the joinery, it'll split out a lot yeah. of times. Then the MDF will. So, yeah. Which brings up a a point about joinery. You know, like with MDF core, you're not going to do small tongue and dado kind of joinery, in my opinion, because you're those face veneers just aren't strong enough. To provide strength it's just appearance crumbly yeah and then the you know you know if you did like a let's just say a quarter inch tongue to fit into a quarter inch dado there's just not a lot behind that to hold that joint in a sheer stress point you know yeah so at that point you're usually doing like for me it's always uh full thickness dados or something like biscuits or a spline or something like that. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? What do you do for plywood joinery? Butt joints. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to say butt. Yeah, I know. No, I do a lot of like, for just plywood, I'll do a lot of the tongue and groove where it's like the quarter inch uh, groove or dado in it and uh, tongue or whatever. Oh, seems to work pretty well, pretty well for that, especially because it's like you mentioned that it's usually not like the full three quarter inch. So you're not trying to make a three quarter inch dado to fit the plywood and constantly fight it. So you can kind of match the sizes there. And it's usually a pretty strong joint. Right. Plywood. So, yeah. you know, my, my most elaborate do. use of plywood, is I'm sitting here looking around my office. Uh, and I have a bunch of cabinets I built in here. So I have some uppers up here. I have some lowers. I have three lowers. Um, that was a, a pretty intensive plywood weekend. Um, and honestly, those are all butt joints. They're all butt joints and screws for for the cabinets. I mean, there's no no tricky joinery there. Um, it's actually the same joinery that, or it's the same build style that Nancy used, uh, Nancy Hiller, when she was there uh, with oh. us filming uh, her kitchen cabinet class, which is awesome. Um, for for drawers, I think you're right. Tongue and dado all day long um, with veneer core. 
Um, right. If it is a MDF core, if I'm just making shop drawers or something, then I'm probably still using butt joints and air nails. Hate to say it. Um, it's just simple slapping it together. I know it's MDF core and it's not going to last very long, probably. So I'm just slapping something together. Um, and at that point, it's just a get it done type of thing. Um, sure. Most most of the time, I still try to do drawers. I have a drawer in the closet over here because I haven't finished these cabinets yet. Uh, I have a drawer in here, but I, I try to do my drawers out of solid wood if I can. Yeah. Um, but doesn't always work. I will say I do like half inch Baltic birch plywood or three eighths Baltic birch plywood for drawer material, just because when you start processing all the sides, like, you know, you get a big sheet and you just set up the saw and you just start buzzing pieces off and it goes pretty quick. And you have that real consistency and thickness and flatness. And then with, with Baltic birch, obviously not to keep tooting its horn, but you know, you can do, tongue and dado joints or you know we've done uh routed half blind dovetails and all that kind of stuff and to me baltic birch plywood acts a lot more like wood than it does like plywood mm -hmm. yeah you know i was trying to get my wife to allow me to she she bought you guys heard me talking about this today she bought this camper over the weekend so i've been helping her tear it apart and she wanted me to make new drawer fronts for it and I was trying to get her to let me just make the drawer fronts out of Baltic birch plywood. I mean, there's only oh, like there's yeah. only like a dozen drawer fronts in there between the drawer fronts and the cupboard doors. I was like, I could just make them out of Baltic birch and you route a um, chamfer around the edge on the front edge of it. They'll look yeah. great. You know, I'll just lacquer them. She wants to paint the cabinets. I don't mind the look of lacquered Baltic birch either. You yeah. know, we've we've done it on a lot of shop projects where. Uh, the thin veneers on the edge, they, it looks fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. So she didn't go for it. So I am <laughs> uh, now going to have to make them out of solid wood, I think, so she can paint them. Mm -hmm. but... Sounds like a good compromise. Yes. Yep. As in she won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, she thought it was a good compromise. Yep. All right. Now, another issue that comes up with plywood uh, and goes back to one of the questions that we, we've gotten is uh, how our projects end up looking so good in the magazine other than Photoshop mm -hmm. uh, when we're building a plywood project. And I think it has to do with breaking down sheets of plywood. This was something that we were talking about this morning when we were filming for the show is the role of cutting diagrams and plywood. Right. Yeah, I mean you have to you have to treat plywood on a project like you would solid wood. So ninety nine percent of the time you're run your panels long grain, right? So when you're cutting them out of plywood, you have to cut them long grain, uh, and you also have to make sure that the plywood that you get matches the hardwood that you're using on the same project. You know, um, and if you buy cheaper plywood, you're going to get some variation in color. Uh, Right. The one the one example I could think of off the top of my head is the uh, the table saw workstation that John designed that Mark built probably a year ago. Um, it had a couple sheets of plywood that were a completely different color. And Mark mm -hmm. actually had to tint them with lacquer with tinted lacquer to get them to match. Um, 
So, yeah, if you can bring a piece of hardwood, match it to the plywood, you know, there might not be a ton of selection there, but, you know, that's the best practice if you can. Yeah. Or, or if you're just making like uh, door panels or something that's visible from quarter inch plywood you're, and they're all, say, 12 inches wide, you're not just cutting 12 inch strips and throw them all in there because then the grain is going to be all, you know, off. So you might have to shift that left or right to, to get the, the panels to kind of match each other as far as grain pattern or not look, you know, too wonky or so yeah. you might have to mirror the grain pattern a little bit as it repeats through the plywood. So, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest one is, you know, usually you see a plywood cutting diagram and it's to maximize the yield out of that sheet when you have to look at grain direction and patterns and seams in the veneer, if that's the kind of veneer that's on the faces to, to make a good look of it. You know, you can't just start, you know, set the rip fence for a 24 inch wide panel and start going, you know, you might lose some of the material out of the plywood, but you're going to end up with a much better looking panel. If you can, you know, center the grain pattern or center the veneer seams or something like that so that you get balanced looking, balanced looking pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing I've seen only one person I know of do, and he's sitting in this room right now. <laughs> And that is edge gluing plywood together to make wider plywood panels. Who does that? <laughs> Raise your hand, Phil. <laughs> I've done so, it. Yeah, so that's uh, which is interesting because it's not ever something I would have thought of. Yeah, but there's and, no uh, reason you can't. Right, and that stems from three main reasons. Reason number one is I'm was too cheap. And so I just glued up some scraps for a, for a project that I had built years ago and realized like, hey, this actually turned out. And then B, there was an article in Fine Woodworking years and years ago about a guy who did like high-end media centers. But these were like wall-hung, super widescreen uh TV and component holders plus shelving or whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of the first steps that he had in there was he gets this gets his plywood in and then he lays the sheets of plywood out on a long wall and starts looking at the grain patterns of it. And then he starts slicing and dicing all these sheets of plywood and then re-glues them together with like biscuits or something like that to hold it to to get a cohesive look to to the panels that he was making and then uh i did some work for a little side hustle for one of the for a cabinet maker in town here just doing sanding and finishing and mm-hmm. i don't know general shop chores for him and he was working on some bigger commissions and he would biscuit and glue together plywood panels all the time so yeah. uh so I've started doing that, especially if I need to, you know, like we've talked about wanting to get a good balanced look for the panel so that it looks like a glued up hardwood panel, you know, a slice, you know, when you cut your sheet apart, you're going to end up with off cuts on the left and right of it, but take some of those and now you can mix and match those together and you can have something that looks, looks cohesive and be able to yeah. get a little bit more use out of it. 
Well, that's what I, that's what made me think of it when John was talking about you know doing quarter inch panels in like a door or whatever. You know, generally you're going to have a glue line in there somewhere from a hardwood panel, so you can kind of fake that same look with plywood. Right. I mean, there's no reason you can't. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're choosing nice plywood, and that's what we were talking about earlier with the higher quality plywood where it's actually made up of, you know, six to eight inch wide pieces of veneer that are essentially taped and glued together like a, yep. like a board, you know, as opposed to a rotary cut plywood where it has that like ripply water look all the way across yeah. where there's no seams. And I mean, honestly, it's just not going to look as good. If you build yep. the project from it and that's the way you're going to do it, then, you know, then that's your decision. But if you're looking for making the best looking project, you know, then you want to spend a little bit more on the plywood and then cut it up the right way too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, talking about plywood, it reminds me of this job we did um, on a pre my previous life as a uh, cabinet maker. We were working in a house. Um, I think it was like all mid-century modern and they wanted this long wall to have all these burnt bolt or not bolting, just burnt plywood panels all along. And I think it was like a 60 foot long wall. It was super long, you know, um, must've been 12 foot high ceilings. And so we got, uh, a, like this, you know, pallet of plywood in, and we noticed that it was all like each sheet of all four by eight sheets went in a series and they were all grain matched all the way through all these panels and like, Hey, this is pretty cool. We can make this whole wall grain matched all the way down. <laughs> that is awesome. And I think so we started doing this and somewhere in the middle, it had like a angled ceiling that we're cutting, you know, the top to match the ceiling angle. And uh, like somewhere in the middle, we cut the angle the opposite way. So we had one plywood panel in the middle that messed up our whole like grain matched oh. 60 foot long wall. Of, and that's when John came to like, Woodsmith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the final straw. Yeah. So. Uh, wah, wah, wah. Sad trombone. <laughs> uh, actually, I think that was one of the last jobs I did there. No. <laughs> You never put two and two together. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. It all worked out, I guess. Yep. Uh, all right, so we got some viewer or listener. Do we call them viewers or listeners? Listeners? Uh, probably listeners. I mean, they're probably primarily listening. Not as many people, for whatever reason, not watching the YouTube of three heads bobbling around here doing this. I'm going to so, Right. All right. First one is from Kent, who writes, you all have different kinds of shops. How does your family get your attention when you're in the shop? I have a small basement workshop, and sometimes they stomp on the floor above me, hammer on the door, or just stand behind the door and knock or yell. If I'm running a tool and have ear protection on, how do I know they need me, and how do they know it's safe to come in? My wife mentioned getting a doorbell clicker to put in the stairwell rigged to a doorbell or a light. Not the shop lights, because that would be scary. So what do you guys, what do you guys do? Okay, well, I am in a detached garage shop, and usually I have the garage door open if the weather's nice, and they know if 
like the table saws running. If something's running, just to kind of stay out of the garage. But I have found through this time of um, social isolation with everybody home from school and my wife home that even with my hearing protection on, table saw running, all the doors and windows closed in the house and garage, I can still hear like the... <laughs> The, the yelling and the fighting in the house and just like it's sounds like an elephant stampede. And even though I try to ignore it, I can hear it. So I know they can get my attention even through all that, even <laughs> being detached from the house. And sorry to the neighbors that have lived by us all these years, because apparently that's what you've heard as well. So... <laughs> So this is funny when when this comment came in, it was like the day after I was in my shop for like an entire afternoon working and I just bought myself a pair of Bluetooth hearing protection. Okay, So I listen to a book on tape or, um, you know, usually one of my kids uh, while I'm in the shop has my phone to keep them out of my wife's hair a little bit to grant me some shop time. So usually I'm listening to the radio and I was routing, I was routing something and my my oldest son had walked into the shop and was just standing there. And I looked up and it scared the crap out of me. Like <laughs> I jumped a mile high with a spinning router in my hand, scared the crap out of me, not safe. Uh, so I told him, you know, I was like, buddy, here's the deal. And he, he's five. He doesn't necessarily know any better. He knows not to touch stuff in the shop, but he doesn't understand that there's, you know, repercussions of him scaring somebody with a tool in their hand. Um, I was like, if, if you need me, okay, and I'm in the middle of something, you hear a machine running, just open the door and stand there. Because I I look up at the door every time I shut something off. So it's like, I, I, will, I will get to you when I shut the machine off. So that's kind of what I have told him. Uh, my wife, she knows if she needs to get a hold of me, she opens the door and stands in the doorway. Um, my workbench is on the opposite end of the shop from the door. And I kind of stand facing the door on my workbench. So usually I'm there. Um, otherwise, my shop being in the basement, table saw is right by the door. So if the door opens, I will notice it. When I was uh, my first house, I had a basement shop. And, and it was just like my when I was growing up, my dad had his workshop in the basement. So the universal get your attention was like a three-step stomp on the floor above so that you knew that it was different than just somebody walking through or kids running through the house, that if it was in a specific pattern that you knew that that was the, it's time to come upstairs or I need you or something like that. Out in my garage here, cause I have a detached garage too now. And uh, I don't usually listen to music or anything when I'm in the shop. It's just, just me in the zone here. So I have my phone my smartphone with me and then try to have it turned on all the time. So uh, if somebody needs to get a hold of me, it's just usually a text or a phone call. Although I have found that um, the door to the garage is on the opposite end of the garage from where my shop is. I can usually tell like the pressure difference yeah. when the door opens up that just the air changes or something like that. So even if I'm using a tool, I can tell if somebody comes in and that, is enough to to warrant but yeah uh my kids and my wife both know all know that um if i'm running a tool just to kind of stand off to the side and you can usually catch them out of your peripheral vision yeah. 
that it's just like, okay, I'll finish up and get to you. So. Yeah, until they're about this tall, and they sneak around the corner of your bench, and all of a sudden you get a little gremlin standing there without any <laughs> shirt on and eating a snack. Yep. So, because I've seen people where they do, where they put some kind of a, you know, a doorbell to a low voltage light or something like that, just yep. to signal or even do that for like a shop, a phone in the shop or something like that. But yep. that's not something that I've done. No, which is funny. I was, when we were filming today, I was in the shop and I walked in, uh, I walked into our shop um, and Steve was standing there, no hearing protection on. He was just gluing something together. And Mark was in there, radio was going, and I just walked in there and said, hey, Steve. And he about jumped out of his pants. I was like, wow, <laughs> he is in the zone. Granted, he was gluing up like a coopered planter. It must be the, the planters were doing. Um, so he was he was in the zone, but it's like there was a lot of stuff going on, and I still scared the crap out of him. Yeah. So. Okay, second question is from Bradford. I'm building a hand tools chest out of French cut walnut, and I'm wondering how to finish the project. I'm planning on using a mineral oil beeswax concoction, wherein the beeswax is melted into the oil at about one to four. I'm not too concerned with durability as it's a shop project, but am I missing any potential issues? What types of finishes work well for tool storage and drawer function? I think he's got it. In my opinion, I mean, aside from adding more protection with like a film finish, yeah. you know, low maintenance. I, mean, I don't want to say low maintenance because a mineral oil and beeswax mixture will need reapplied if you're using it like on a cutting board. But I don't think it will on a shop project because it's not getting washed. No, not like know? on a cabinet or anything. No, no, no. It's going to be it'll, that will lubricate the drawers well. Um, it'll add some glue resistance. I see no issue. Yeah. So what ratio would you do for beeswax to mineral four, oil? Four to one. I like I like the four to one. Is that what okay. Yep. I guess I just wonder the only thing that I I don't see any issues in terms of it affecting the tools inside or for drawer function. I just don't know that the mineral oil is doing anything other than making it easier to apply. I, I think that's it, is it's a carrier. So I would, I guess my, my only thing would be to substitute the mineral oil for just a solvent, a little sure. bit of turpentine just to, or, you know, or mineral spirits or something just to make more like a paste wax. Yeah. Cause then when, once the solvent flashes off then you just have a harder finish than I think mineral oil would be, or to use like boiled linseed oil instead where that will cure, you know, mineral oil is never going to cure. Yeah. No, boiled would, linseed oil would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, that being said, I don't know that I have any objection to what he's doing. And I think it would work just fine. I think it would help drawers to slide in and out because you get that lubrication from both the oil mm -hmm. and the wax. Um, yeah. See, I, f I feel like the, the oil might give him a little bit of water resistance, but again, it's not a, it's a shop project. It's not like it's getting used anywhere that it's going to be around a lot of water, you know? Right. So the, the 
a boiled linseed oil will give him some better color, especially on the walnut, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, because you'll you'll find that the the four to one doesn't do a ton as far as color, like mineral oil or um, linseed oil would. Um, it right. won't soak in and give you the the amount of color you get from either one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the tool chest that I have here behind me, the the lower part is walnut. And I did water-based finish on the outside of that. I don't remember if I put oil on it just to bring out the color a little bit and then water-based finish for protection. But the insides of the drawers, I didn't put any finish on at all mm -hmm. just because I don't want any kind of issues with sticking or you know, I'll maybe wax drawer bottoms or runners or something like that. But um, on shop projects, I don't usually put finish on the drawer sides itself it's usually just on the on the front yeah john any thoughts i agree i concur <laughs> <laughs> satisfied uh, yeah all right final one is a little bit more involved here it's from a listener named tomkin he writes I kind of chuckled when in one of your previous podcasts, someone mentioned back in high school, they were making the usual shop class projects like a book rack. Some time ago, a buddy who was a woodshop teacher lamented that the projects they were cobbling together did not spark much interest in the student population. Over a few six packs, we decided what was needed was a more complex project. It should reinforce all the skills and techniques taught in the first semester and to introduce production techniques and collaborative learning opportunities. It should be something that the student would want to keep, build, use, and show off to others. To cap it off, it must be completable in 12 weeks. We decided on building a tool chest. I volunteered to come up with a design and build a prototype. I basically copied the elements of a Gerstner tool chest. To simplify the construction, I eliminated the front panel because in practice, once filled with tools, it's just too heavy to schlep around anyway. The case was select pine, and the drawer fronts were from scraps of oak and walnut. Chest handles, corner protectors, brass pulls, and all the usual drawer catches were the hardware used. Drawers were primarily in three widths, all graduated in height. The idea was for the class to build two or three in teams, and then at the end of the class, they would be auctioned or raffled off. Upon developing the course curriculum, it was determined that in no way could the chest be built in 12 weeks. So we simplified the design prototype for number two, where each drawer width and all the drawers were of the same height. This meant that the drawers could be mass produced in only three different sizes. The second week into the class, the students protested that each wanted to build a chest to keep. Surprisingly, parents stepped forward and offered to pay for the material. The end result, students had to collaborate to come up with mass production techniques to complete the build in the remaining 10 weeks. So, and he included mm -hmm. a couple of photos and I'm gonna put those on the show notes page that you can find at woodsmith.com under the podcast tab. So I thought that was kind of a cool one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are great projects. Very um, good use of, like he said, mass producing. And it's nice that they all got to make one for themselves. I think they'd be a little bit more motivated to do a good job if they knew they were keeping it. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's cool. And a small tool chest like that with the smaller drawers. I mean, it's not like a big travel trunk or something. Mm -hmm. 
but I mean, it doesn't have to hold tools, you know, it can mm -hmm. be uh, for collectibles or any small items that you'd want to have, you know, any, you know, so it's, it's multi-purpose, I think. So I think that's a cool, cool way to do it. Mm -hmm. I remember my youngest brother was taking a woodshop class when he was in high school and he built a nightstand project out of Woodsmith. And he said he lamented the fact that uh, he was the only one in his class that wasn't building a gun cabinet. <laughs> yep. You could tell we all went to school in the Midwest because that's what <laughs> my shop class was. It was like yep. gun cabinet, gun cabinet, gun cabinet. I had a roll top desk, gun cabinet, gun cabinet. <laughs> Uh, so yep we're in the midwest yeah. yeah all right let's wrap it up with a little project update um well i am still working on the outdoor playhouse here as i will be for the rest of my life <laughs> or until we move uh last saturday i got uh the roof on, well like the plywood and and stuff on for the roof i was we went through uh, several days of plus 90 degree weather and I didn't feel like putting shingles on the roof where they were melting underneath my feet and I'm sliding off on them. And so uh, we that's how you know you get weather. a good bond. All right. Yeah. You just, you know, kind of squeeze them all together it's like a big s'mores. <laughs> so, but yeah, now, so this, uh, this week we've had a little rain and now it's cooled down. It's supposed to be a 70s for a few days so hopefully i'll get the shingles on the roof and make a little bit more headway so keep the kids happy anyways so okay so i'm working on awesome. can't wait to see it all done yeah speaking of done i got my poker table done yeah wash my hands of now it on to the next huge project no yeah, right no well <laughs> the next huge project is a camper <laughs> oh yeah that's right Oh God. So, so I finished up the poker table this weekend. Uh, it's last weekend. Um, upholstery is one of those things best left to professionals. I did the top and if for anybody that's not familiar with poker table tops, they have a small foam padding underneath them. So not only is it the, the cloth, the speed cloth, which is like a polyester slick cloth that cards slide across. It also has foam padding. No big deal. I'm good with my hands. I can do that. I was in the shop until like two in the morning, sweating, cursing, stapling, pulling. I was stuck to everything. There was spray adhesive all over. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So I so I had my uh, my friend that this poker table was a surprise for come over uh, to the to our shop and look at it. He was in. He was, you know, beyond excitement about it. Uh, they loved it. I said, you know, look, uh, you're not hurt my feelings if you have the top recovered professionally at some point because it could use it probably. There's one small wrinkle. It looks, <laughs> I mean, it looks okay. You guys saw it. Yeah, it, I like, thought it looked great. Yeah, and, and we'll put some photos in the in the uh, notes page. But um, there was one wrinkle, one or two wrinkles in the top that I just could not get out. I mean, I tried. I pulled out staples multiple times, could not get them out. So uh, it is what it is, um, you know. I'm not going to have my feelings hurt by having them re-oppose it professionally. Um, but the the lacquer was pretty soft, so we didn't move it. So I'm letting the lacquer sit for this week, and we're going to move it Saturday. Um, so, yeah, the, the next big project is this camper that my wife decided to buy that I'm gutting and 
redoing with her. <laughs> I don't know how I got volunteered. It was a compromise. She wanted a camper. Mm-hmm. I didn't. So we got a camper. Right. So, uh, so sounds like a YouTube series. I know. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but no, and, uh, spent my time the last couple of days of the evenings, um, sawing some logs here and there, uh, sure. picked up a red Oak the other day. That was kind of fun. Um, red Oak's one of those things that it is, uh, it's not my favorite. It's overdone. It feels very nineties. The golden red Oak, you know, just feels right. very like nineties to me. Uh, however, when it's in like nice big live edge slab form, it's actually kind of cool. And I like some of the Coruscant stuff I got out of the log. So cut that a couple days ago. And Saturday I cut a, um, a big ash. That was really nice. So that was fun. So keeping the sawmill happy and fed and <laughs> getting to the point where I am almost ready to send a box of blades in to be sharpened. So, wow. Yeah. So it'll be fun. I'm excited to do some photos and magazine and some video work. I think it'll be really cool. Mm-hmm. I think it will be too. So I got to find a good location with logs (laughs) to cut for (laughs) videos and photos and stuff. Right. Otherwise you just look like a deforester somewhere that you're just. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping to finally finish my router table fence this week. So uh, you guys saw it today. Current progress. Mm-hmm. I'm just about there. Finally, I'm on like version three or something like that. And I think I've been my own worst enemy on this in wanting to have some extra features and then also have it look nice too. There's a, you know, and then designing and building on the fly is probably not the best idea. And then this, you know, if I've got, haven't gotten a ton of concentrated shop time, so when you come out and you're just basically solving the problem of where to locate a slot or a screw hole, and then it's time to go in, and it's just like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> so I'll be ready to have that and then get the router table put together. And then uh, the, uh, the Wells Fargo wagon came down the street, and my sanding belts for my drill press belt sander arrived so I can get back into working on my shoulder plane. So nice. Mm-hmm. Hopefully to see a little bit more progress on that. Yeah, that is actually one thing I have to finish. I have to uh, finish up the bronze minor plane for the issue we just started. So I need to get my shop and knock that out here. Hopefully this weekend. Yeah. So so then I have uh, that radio cabinet. I still want to do. Uh, I did. So this is the this is my throwdown for all the other woodworkers out there in addition to my co-hosts is I've just, other than finish, I finished one of my first Christmas presents for 2020. It doesn't count because you did it on video. It's on. Do you think we're all going to survive till Christmas 2020? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not planning on making it to Christmas. So Uh, just enjoy the time we have now. (laughs) Live in the moment. Yep. Uh, so anyway, I usually try and start Christmas presents around June so that I have any hope of getting them all done by December or so, November, depending on when you celebrate. Do you have a do you have a uh, a set list that you build for every year? Yes, I do. Um, okay. 
I usually so how build, many do you do? Um, I usually do one per family unit for each side of the family. Okay. So, uh, so my wife has two brothers. Okay. So I build something for each one of those families, and then for my in-laws, okay. and then I have uh, I have two brothers and a sister. Okay. One of my brothers lives in Ireland, so he doesn't get anything. He gets spuds. And he's a woodworker, so he can build his own stuff. No, it's mostly because there's just no way for me to ship something over there to be practical. Um, so I build two things for my younger brother and my sister, and then something for my parents. Okay, so seven or eight? Yeah. Okay, that's, see, that's that's more doable and realistic than I think what I did last year, which was like everybody. I think I made 20-some cutting boards. Right. And it was like, that was way too much. Yeah. And if you're, even if you're doing cutting boards, you're like, it's just a cutting board. I get this thing glued up in a couple of hours, so what's it to do? Yeah, it's like, no. Nope. No. I, got in, I mean, I got into a production cycle, but it was still like, ugh. We're better off yeah. just doing seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to try doing more for my kids or, you know, or doing something for birthdays or something like that. And I've always looked at that as my, you know, because people have asked, you know, if I do woodworking on the side and I'll take on a paying project here and there. But I guess I view the my gifts as my side hustle. You know, if I consider what they're worth in terms of time and materials. and Yeah, for sure. The amount of love poured in. <laughs> so, okay, so, so let's throw down to see who gets all their Christmas presents done first, Phil or everybody else. Everybody, it's just a reminder Phil to get the you, world. You cannot start too early. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> Unless everybody's it, dead, like John said. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, if you want your projects to not smell like lacquer when the wrapping paper comes off, time to get going. Okay, I think that wraps up today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to your podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or uh, our website or any of your local small shop podcast distributors. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, and it helps get the podcast out to more people. Otherwise, we'll join you next week for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects. You can find it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. 